Good afternoon, everyone, uh, and welcome to this podcast. It is a joint venture by Cliff Decker-Hoffmeyer, Cliff Decker-Hoffmeyer Conversations, the East Africa Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, the EABCA, and of course, myself, Jerry, at Jerry Talks Law Podcast. So we're so proud to be partnering this year with the EABCA to bring you conversations with people who exactly know what they're talking about uh, and people who are leaders in their field and can talk to venture capital and private equity in East Africa. For those of you who don't know, CDH is a leading full-service law firm. Uh, It's headquartered in Johannesburg and has an office in Nairobi and in Cape Town. The EABCA was founded in 2013 to represent the private equity industry in East Africa and provide a voice for industry players to raise awareness and engage on regional policy matters. Today, the EAVCA serves as the interlink platform for public stakeholders, local businesses, and private investors building on dialogue and industry insights to create a sustainable, informed ecosystem that advances economic growth, social and environmental welfare, and wealth and creation in the region. So, who is our guest today? Very topically, we have Andrew Fasnage. Andrew is the founder of the Africa Tech Summit, which is taking place this February, a leading tech conference focused on connecting businesses and driving investments within Africa's tech ecosystem. Andrew holds a Bachelor of Marketing and Management from the Technological University of Dublin. He has served as a director of ATS since 2015. Andrew is an experienced tech professional, having launched services in multiple African markets since 2009, and now connects, invests, and advises ventures entering, launching, or expanding across Africa. He is the founder of Apps Africa Advisory and the Africa Money and Decentralized Finance, DFI, Summit West Africa, connecting tech leaders, investors, startups, and corporates. So you can see that Andrew is the perfect person to have for our first podcast. So welcome, Andrew. Hi, thanks for having me. After that long introduction, let's get to it. So you started your career as a marketing manager at HostelWorld.com. You then uh, founded NavyRoof.com in India and became its director two years later. In 2012, you joined Monetized, a mobile technology company delivering mobile banking, payments and commerce as its Africa manager. You later joined the mobile financial services startup Bima as its Africa markets manager. Fast forward to 2013, you launched Apps Africa, a leading pan-African technology portal service. You have since launched ATS and you're the current director. What inspired you to get into tech, first of all, and what have all of these different tech businesses taught you about the tech world and where it's going in 2023? Wow, I've forgotten about some of those uh, some of those, some of those previous uh, career roles. Yeah, I suppose I was very lucky starting out in my career. I, I, I started to work for a um, a, a, a travel startup in Dublin called HostelWorld.com, run by two uh, really great guys, Tom Kennedy and Ray Nolan, um, who subsequently exited that business and have, have now been investors in probably a lot of the Irish tech ecosystem. What that job taught me is in that era, then was like technology was so simple in ways. They had a business that was uh, taking bookings around the world, uh, taking, a, taking a small deposit for people to travel, backpack around the world. Very, very simple idea, very simple business model. And that company uh, ended up listing on, on, the, on, on the, the London Stock Exchange. Oh, wow. So it did really well then. Yeah, it did really well. You know, when I arrived in there, I was pretty green. I did, I, I'd been out of uni a couple of years. I'd had another job. But it was a great environment where two founders 
one was a techie, the other guy actually had a had a had a backpacking hostel and needed a way of booking people in. And that's how the that's how the business kind of came about was a booking system built for one hostel originally. And then they uh they thought about, oh, let's do Hostel Dublin. Actually, let's do all hostels in Ireland. And they went, actually, let's just do all hostels in the world. Let's just do Hostel World. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's literally how it came about. And what I learned there was just in, in, in an amazing environment to work with with, with two founders who, uh, you know, let people just go and try things and break things and, and, and see what works and doesn't work. An amazing team, team spirit and culture in that company. And I was honestly, I was I was quite sad to leave. I had plans to, to move to London at the time, try other things. And yeah, it was bittersweet leaving there, but I think I felt like I needed needed to try and grow as well. So I moved to London and then, uh, yeah, I started in a range of different companies in London as 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 a marketing person. Set up my first startup, NavyRoof.com, which bizarrely was an Indian property portal. Again, kind of happened in a roundabout way. And uh I, I knew nothing about India at the time, so got on a plane and went to India and uh, had had fallen into this really through a friend of mine and um, set that up. And then they, they, the uh, global credit crunch happened, so that that quickly uh, put pay to that idea. I don't think it was a great idea anyway at the time. What I, what I quickly realized was that Indian people really only trust Indian people when they're buying property. They don't trust a property portal. So uh, we had some success, but it, it was never going to work as a business. But I think what that what that gave me was an understanding of how to run a, a tech-enabled, uh, or try and run a tech-enabled business, uh, which got me into Africa. Because my next job, I was headhunted to go and work with some guys who had a technology, which was a basic mobile messaging solution, which enabled anybody with a Nokia, an old Nokia phone with no Wi-Fi, no data to be able to send and receive messages. So you could send email, you could send social media, all using your, your mobile phone number. So that was my first entrance into the African ecosystem. I knew very little. And I spent the next number of years working with Forget Me Not Africa at the time, launching well we were going around knocking on doors basically with with telcos across the continent we eventually launched in kenya actually with with you which doesn't exist anymore um safaricom with itisalat nigeria which also doesn't exist so i'm never really beginning to show my age but uh I managed to launch a service in, in about four or five different markets. And I think what, what was interesting for me was I was learning about, at that time, the telcos had all the power. So telecoms operators owned it all the pipe, basically, for any service that you wanted to do. If we look at payments now in fintech, that didn't exist. You know, everything was done through uh, either or the USSD and still is, or you had to find some other way to take a payment. And if we look at now the generation of payments companies who've come up, like Cellulint, uh, Paystack, Flutterwave, you know, all these guys were coming on the scene uh, around then starting to, you know, try and find solutions to these problems. So while I was doing my day job, going and seeing these mobile operators, I was also across the continent seeing founders, new founders. doing, doing and, and, and at this point, there was very little happening in terms of an organized ecosystem structure. We had iHub in Kenya. Uh, there was a couple of other hubs across the continent, but nothing like there is today. I think there's over 500 hubs across across the continent now. So we're talking about a few people were really driving the ecosystem. People like Eric Herzman, who set up the iHub. You know, you had the CC Hub in Nigeria. You had, you had a couple of guys who are really pushing it. And what I saw was at that time, wow, this is a really exciting space. I was also finding that working with mobile operators was extremely tedious uh, to say to say say politely and um, to get anything launched with a mobile operator as a small vendor is really really difficult i mean we did quite well 
so that that that's what got me into into African tech. And then I worked in a couple of other roles, as you said, in mobile microinsurance. I rolled out a mobile money pilot for a company called Monetize in Nigeria. And then they decided they weren't doing Africa. And at that point, I really knew my passion was for for what was what I was seeing across the continent. Um, and then I worked for a beam in mobile microinsurance. I quickly realized that I wasn't made to be calculating insurance premiums in, in a spreadsheet. So I, I I quickly left that role. And then that was the start of Apps Africa, which is still going today, which started as a passion project, really, in terms of showcasing the people I was meeting across the continent, startups, investors, news in, in the tech space. From that, people would ask me, oh, can you connect me with this person and that person, which I did a lot of, and we were doing advisory as well and still do. And from that, we we started the first African Tech Summit. So so that's, sorry, that's a long-winded answer to your question in terms of how it started and where it's where we got to. And what I'm seeing now from then to now is, you know, as, as I say, the ecosystem was very, very nascent. In our first event, people were talking about check sizes of $50,000, $100,000, and that was big news. People were raising $50,000 in, in 2015-16. You know, people were sitting up and, and listening to that because VC wasn't even sexy. Uh, Evil tell you more. VC wasn't sexy in Africa um, then. You know, it was it was it was a very, very small few people were properly attacking it. Whereas now, you know, there's hundreds of VCs coming into Africa from all over the world because they all see the potential now. Amazing. And I think just to bring in Eva, who is head of EABCA. Uh, yeah, we could work with that on the card. Let's work with head of, head of Africa. for <laughs> Head of Africa. Thank you so much for also being with us and for partnering with us on this podcast. I think let's bring you in because what Andrew is basically saying is that when he started out, he was identifying, first of all, a need. So for example, hostile world. And then you can have the technology, but no need. So for example, in India, as he, as he exemplified. And then now, it's connecting people who are working in the ecosystem and making sure that they're working together. That's kind of also what you do, isn't it, um, Eva? Yeah. So I will just start by introducing who I am. I'm Eva Warigia with the East Africa Venture Capital Association. And uh, we are, like Andrew, in the business of showcasing the ecosystem, trying to create linkages between entrepreneurs and investors. I don't have as detailed a background like Andrew does. And he was really fascinating. I don't know why I've never seen this anywhere, Andrew. But for me, I started out in corporate finance, advising on sell-side mandates. Primarily at the time, I think I was doing real estate. That's between 2010 to 2013, advising companies that were really fundraising from um, private individuals and corporates um, for projects. And then I moved into investor relations as a consultant for listed companies. And during that time, around 2015, I remember private equity was just starting to sort of trickle into East Africa and get more noticeable. There were some players like Actis those days, but then they were getting a presence into East Africa circa 2015. Like Andrew said, VC was not inexistent in any way. And I remember at the time, PE, if we had asked them what their investment thesis into Africa or East Africa at the time, they would say it's the demographics, it's the dynamic ecosystem of the fact that there's so many industries that are still growing on the continent. And then interestingly, for PE at the time, they were talking about we are using technology to enable industries or to enable legacy sectors, so financial services, trying to plug in tech and use that as a value driver. So my first interaction is technology and investing, or at least technology as a driver of investment. And uh, I remember being curious about what it means for 
tech as an enabler for private capital um, value creation and the PEs would basically talk about if you think of someone investing in a manufacturing plant, they are looking to increase operational efficiencies, not necessarily using whatever we know as tech today, um, the really innovative data analytics and artificial intelligence. It was plain and simple software to help increase throughput, just like that. And increasingly, uh, that got more popular um, uh, to do competitive ads. I think more innovation came about even within the region. And we started to see even the innovation getting more capital directly from investors. And then VC came about. There were companies around 2009, the likes of Cellulant in East Africa, software technologies back then. They were really early adopters to the venture model. And fast forward 10 years later, we have this robust ecosystem. Um, of course, investors somewhere in between there came in and changed their whole landscape around mobile payments. And with that, brought a new landscape towards innovating for the mobile ecosystem and for the mobile user. So that was my journey. And today, I think this is the fastest growing investment space at the continent um, relative to the other asset classes, private equity, real estate uh, and private debt. And the need is obvious. There's a lot more innovation probably than there is capital that is chasing this innovation. There's new spaces that customers are insisting on getting new drivers of efficiency, so to speak. And this is what's informing the innovation and with it then comes the, the, the capital that's looking to back this. So we have the numbers from the industry, whether it's the Partec data or the Africa Big Deal data. You can see just how fast VC has grown over the last 10 years. And if you ask me, it is the VC moment and probably will be for the short term. Amazing, Eva. Thank you so much for that. And, and I think um, ATS is a perfect melting pot for all of these industries, all of this innovation to be in one place, hopefully chasing the capital that will be available to it. How did you, do, did you start the ATS um, and, and what do you hope to achieve with it this year, Andrew? Yeah, I think um, ATS, as I said, like when I look back at the first one, you know, really it was about connecting the investors that I knew. Uh, you know, as Eva, Eva, Eva documented there, you know, the, you could quite easily name who the investors were. So it was, it, it wasn't a huge job in terms of identifying the first people. And actually, I'd say that our first event was was probably most of my network. It was quite small. And we did one in London, and then we did we did uh, three in 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 Rwanda in, in Kigali. So. I think for us, the main thing for Africa Tech Summit is that we're connecting the right people. And ultimately, everybody who comes there should be meeting somebody that's going to drive their business or investment forward. Um, so if we have a startup, they should be meeting an investor. Corporates are looking to meet are meet are looking to meet startups and, and partners. We have regulators and government there who are also involved in maybe discussions on regulation and policy and fintech, um, and also more so now in decentralized finance, which is coming to the fore across the continent as well. So the main driver for us is connecting those right people and driving that forward. I think for this year, you know, last year was a strange year. We had we had the, the start and of Omicron started just before Christmas, and then we weren't really sure whether the event would would happen in February still, but we managed to to get it away. Um, and what we're seeing this year, I suppose, is that you know African tech is certainly alive and strong. Um, I think we're going to have over a thousand delegates in Nairobi in on February fifteenth and sixteenth. Also, in, in terms of what Eve was speaking about there, and the investor side is very, very strong, what we're seeing still across the continent. And there are 
you know, there are obviously headwinds in terms of uh, global headwinds, inflation, and we're seeing huge tech layoffs, which which are also filtering into the African ecosystem across the board. We're seeing that now um, from the likes of Google, Microsoft, and other companies who are pulling back. Twitter have closed an office in Ghana. So there is definitely a slowdown, but what I also think is there's, there's certainly more capital available for the African ecosystem than there ever has been. There's been more funds raised in the last two to three years by, by large large investors who are also looking for good opportunity. But I think at the lower end as well, the the smaller startups who maybe don't have traction, who are very early in their journey, are are, are maybe finding it more difficult to raise capital than say a year ago where valuations were were, were crazy. And, and, you know, there was very little due diligence happening um, on deals. I was seeing deals happening online on Zoom calls um, and closing deals out on Zoom calls where people were, were allocated. So there was a rush to invest last year, whereas I think what we're seeing this year is maybe a little bit more reality. Um, and investors are, are certainly more in the driving seat now in terms of deals and uh, governance. There was a lot of fundraising happening last year where, where companies weren't even offering uh, a VC a seat on the board you know, where they're writing big checks. So I think now there's a bit more reality. So in terms of the summit this year, I think we're going to cover a huge amount regarding within the startup summit, we cover what's going on with with, with the ecosystem in terms of investing, in terms of startups uh, across a range of verticals, uh, you know, from mobile to, to ag tech, health tech, fintech. Yeah, yeah. Within the money in DeFi, we also then cover what's going on in crypto and 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 those areas, and in the mobile and app summit. So I would say one of the big takeaways as well for this year is climate. And you know, climate's a big thing for everybody. And I think uh, Africa Tech Summit's job is really to highlight the climate solutions that can that can also solve uh, so tech solutions that can solve the climate problem. Yeah, I, I like the 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 fact that you've talked about you know governance issues. Um, I was at a conference yesterday where they were talking about you know bad examples where uh, founders have been given a free reign, such as you know in FTX and Theranos, to, to do what they wanted. The board didn't have any teeth, and you know you're talking about a rebalancing of that. If a company is looking to get the deal done in 2023, and specifically having conversations at ATS, what advice would you give them as to how to 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 make sure that they get the deal done while being pragmatic? about you know governance issues and also just you about their outcome or you know the potential for their businesses i think um, one great thing they can do if they're coming is we have a deal book so any company whether you're a, a sponsor an exhibitor doesn't matter who you are if you're coming to ats uh, and you're registered as a delegate you can submit a deal into a deal book and that deal book will go out to all our investors who are coming so that's number one so you know we provide that as a, as, as our support of, of companies who are trying to raise capital i mean that's that's great for them and i think an added bonus and then i would say honesty you know like if we look at the investors who have been around the block in africa these guys are on are on ground in 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 different markets seven days a week you know so they know what's going on you know and i think you know telling people that um Long stories about what your what your business does ultimately comes down to traction, governance, as you as you rightly pointed out there. I think I think investors are much much more focused, um, and that, the main ones have always been. But I think if you're looking for an investor to 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 write you a check for for a couple of million dollars, they're going to need to see some serious evidence in the back that you have everything in terms of checks and balances, governance. Uh, and a board, or at least advisors who are are guiding you on that stuff until you get until you get maybe a couple of other board members in, in place. 
So I'd say honesty and clarity is, are, are the two biggest things because I think right now the, the, the pendulum has swung very much back to the investors. They can pick and choose deals a lot more, I think, in, in this next 12 to 24 months because there is going to be a, a tightening on, on capital. So I think I think people have to go in and be really transparent about what it is they're trying to do. And also, I think as a founder, be honest about um, the business. You know, is this a viable business? Can you make revenue? If I go back to my first startup, you know, I probably wasn't honest with myself for 12 months. I had a dream, I had a vision, but was it a viable business? No. The credit crunch probably saved me another couple of years of pain trying to create something that probably wasn't viable. So they'd be my key takeaways. Thanks so much. Eva, I want to give you a chance to have a discussion now. So do you have any questions for Andrew? Not really questions, but Andrew, maybe from your point of view, you have held ATS uh, in Europe. What are the big differences that you see in terms of the ecosystem that comes together that is interested in this kind of service between what we have in Africa and what you have um, organized in Europe, if any? Good question. I think, um, look, if I'm honest, truly honest, Africa Tech Summit Nairobi and our, our, our main flagship event, which was Nairobi and was Rwanda before, has the energy that you cannot recreate anywhere else. So the event in Nairobi will bring together founders, creatives, investors, all sorts of different people from all walks of life in technology and in mobile um, and startups. So recreating that in, in London or, or elsewhere in Europe, I don't think you can do. Also, I'll be really honest, I'm Irish, by the way, so I just want to clarify that. I, I take no responsibility for the UK government, but one of our biggest issues for our London event is actually getting people into the UK with visas. And we've had various promises from UK government about you know how they would support us and help African founders. That's a huge issue for us, I must say. And I've had founders who've raised $20, 30000000 million who couldn't get a visa to come into the UK. Um, and we've we've been very vocal on that. Both at, at UK Parliament, we were invited to, to, to give our thoughts on that. In terms of the differences, I would say, look, London and the European ecosystem has been very, very, you know, they've been around the block a bit more in terms of they had the dot-com boom, they had pre, pre-dot-com. So there's a lot of capital that's been built up into, into the tech ecosystem across Europe. But I think what Europe is beginning to understand is, and again, seven, eight years ago, I didn't see this. They're now sitting up and saying, wow, Africa has huge, huge potential. There's great founders, there's great companies. If we look at the sectors that need to be digitized from insurance, health, multiple logistics, these companies are now understanding and investors are now understanding that Africa represents a massive opportunity. Obviously, being in, in, in London, that event is in, this, in the heart of one of the financial capitals of the world. I think what we're also seeing is financial companies now starting to look at ways that they can allocate capital into riskier VC funding. So investing in funds of funds, investing in other funds that they can put money into, and uh, which they wouldn't traditionally be able to invest in in startups because of their structures. So I think from the first Africa Tech Summit London that we did uh, over seven years ago to now, as I say, I knew most of the people in the room year one. Now I don't really know who those people are. And we've held the last three editions at London Stock Exchange. Now that's not saying anything about Africa Tech Summit. That's saying that London Stock Exchange recognises the power of, of of these African tech ventures, you know, so they 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 understand that there will be a pipeline of unicorns who will exit 
Um, and I think that's a very, very important point that, you know, African tech has come a long way in a very short space of time. If we compare it to the European and the US ecosystems, which, you know, are pre.com era, you know, they've, they, they've had 20-year head start on, 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 on some African companies in terms of uh, staff and, and technology. And coming back to the point of my very first job, you know, and we're, we're beginning to see the cycle happen in Africa now. I went to work for a startup with great founders. A lot of the guys I worked with in that company have started their own businesses. We're beginning to see this cycle happen, certainly out of, out of companies like Floodwave and Paystack, where junior guys who were in seven, eight years ago are now starting to go and start their own tech startups. So I think I think it's hard to compare the you know the ecosystems, um, mm. but I think what we're seeing now is like you know Africa African tech started from from a very 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 disadvantaged position, very poor quality uh, Wi Fi seven eight nine years ago. Still, we have startups paying two thousand dollars a month in Nigeria for for Wi Fi. Wow. Like, like U.S. And, and European startups have had it very easy. You know, you, you can get a Wi-Fi for 30, 40 pounds a month. So the setup cost for a startup in Africa has been immense. The learning cost, the developer and the lack of talent, which has been hoovered out of Africa and taken to other companies and countries. So look, I'm very bullish. I think I think if we look at the progress in 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 a very, very short space of time compared to the other ecosystems, you know, there's there's, there's immense things going to happen across the continent in the, in, in the next few years. Yeah, I think they already are. I was looking at this report that was talking about how the rest of the world had their VC investments declining, but Africa actually rose um, in the last year. And I think it's just a reflection of where the opportunity is going to, right? Um, so um, at this event yesterday, that Jerry mentioned, someone talked about Africa is where India was five years ago and where China was 15 years ago. So if you miss the bus for China, and as a VC, and you miss the bus for India, or are just starting to look into India, you have a chance to be an early adopter of Africa within the next few years. And especially after 2023, because I think COVID also helped in cost correcting some of the digital spaces. We got to learn about what is really critical and needed for the continent. And I, I feel like that's going to be driving innovation going into the future. What is really necessary post-pandemic, we have a bit more clarity about the spending power of the continent, the reality of scaling across multiple borders. And I feel like that's really going to be in exciting times for the investor. We talk about last year's conference, and I remember I attended APS last year. And like you said, it was the largest, and I've been around for some time, the largest startup environment I've ever seen on the continent. And I, I tend to think I know quite a number of people, but even then, I felt like I still needed to do a lot of introduction of myself and EABCA, and that's just the pool of APS and what gets me excited. And for me this year, what I'm looking forward to is seeing what the environment looks like when the VC is on the driver's seat. Because last year, same time, we were having to beg the entrepreneur to just have a meeting with us. So it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like when the tables are turned. I wanted to ask Andrew, I mean, is it helpful for us to be, um, you know, saying Africa as opposed to, you know, separating each of the countries? Because as you say, um, you know, Wi-Fi may be expensive in Nigeria, but certainly that's not the case in Kenya. It's a completely different environment. I think that's a very important point. And, and you know, I, I often hear the comparisons with China and India, but if you launch a service in, in China or in India, you've got one set of regulations. You've got one central bank. You've got one currency. 
you know, I, I learned this very quickly in, in, in my mobile days, you know, launching a mobile service in Kenya versus a, a mobile services in, in Nigeria or Zimbabwe, you've got three different communications commissions. You've got three different tax systems. You've got three different regulators. So, so I think like there's a lot of friction looking at Africa as one market. It's not one market. And I think, you know, some people come in from the US and say, we're going to tackle Africa. You're never going to tackle Africa. It's, 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 it's virtually impossible, I'd say, to, to tackle the whole of Africa. And I don't think you need to tackle the whole of Africa because, you know, there are certain markets for certain services and, and other markets are not going to be, are not going to be viable. So yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think, um, there is huge regional differences if you look at South Africa, for example. Current power situation aside, but you know, Wi-Fi and tech community there is probably one of the more established. You know, the the, the tech community in South Africa in Joburg and Cape Town was very involved. You know, in some of the dot com era and building building companies and have built amazing businesses down there. Nasper's have been one of the early big investors in technology, both in Africa and outside of Africa. So I think there's, yeah, there are massive regional differences. I mean, we, we cer- certainly can't paint paint it all with the, with the one brush because, um, as you say, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi in, in, in Nairobi is electric, uh, you know, and relatively affordable compared to other markets. Yeah. Thank you for that. Eva? Not much of an add-on, but uh, just to confirm with Andrew and what you just said, I think even as we talk to investors or people who are interested that in the continent, there's need to sort of become more clear that it is not a singular market. It's a market of 55 countries and they all operate differently. Mm-hmm. Even for East Africa, as we see it, it's a collection of tiny little markets, but they all operate very independently and have different dynamics. Kenya is not the same as Uganda. The innovation that's happening in this market is not even the same. Uh, and in as much as it offers market opportunities, it can also be some sort of a headwind. Just need someone with the patience and the right appreciation of these kinds of landscapes to get in with their head right. And a connection to Eva, correct? Yes. Because you you are the person to to lead them in the right direction. And Eva, I know that suddenly you're very connected. Oh, yeah. Should we, should we oh, thanks about- for that plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sorry, just one point of that. As once was pointed out to me, you know, a lot of com- a lot of companies, um, you know, from outside of Africa, say, oh, we're going to tackle Nigeria. Population nearly two hundred million people. Uh-huh. If we get ten percent, if we if we get ten percent of that, if we get ten percent of this, but the 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 the, the, the truth the truth is, you're not going to tackle half of that country. It's it's vast. Correct. But if you look at Lagos. You know, there's some districts in Lagos that have three to four to five million people, which is bigger than most than some countries. So it, it, it's looking at looking at uh, the reality of of tackling a, a population for a service versus tackling a whole a whole country. And you know, that's an interesting point um, about investing. Often it's said someplace where there's a difference between investing in Africa and in other markets. In that, in Africa, you're also investing in cities, not so much a country, because if you look at where the opportunities are, it's Nairobi, it's Lagos, it's maybe Cape Town and Johannesburg there, and Cairo, and Tunis to some extent. Outside of the capitals, we barely hear enough. Um, I attempted to do a study last year looking at deals outside of the capital cities of East Africa. And in all my WhatsApp groups, people, they were just trickling in and often don't mention the same names. So that's the other thing. 
the difference between a country and a city. Yeah, very important. Should we um, also just start our conversation? Because I know a lot of people will be talking about uh, the failures in 2022 and then, you know, the, the new things that are coming up, such as chat GP, um, crypto still somewhere in the background or, you know, uh, foreground, uh, depending on who you are. Uh, should we start that conversation off, um, Eva? My take is that unlike 20, 10 years ago where Africa would have to catch up, now innovation happens real time as it happens in other markets. If I just use the example of ChatGPT, which was officially launched in November 2022, uh, we come to learn that they actually did their beta testing in Kenya, right? And oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they did. So that's just a reflection of, I mean, they used a, a Kenyan outsourcing company, a BPO, to help in data cleaning so that they remove their bad words and the violence and so forth. But that's an indication of tech in Africa is happening real time to the rest of the world. As the rest of the world adapts to AI, to virtual learning or whatever, we are having to contend with the same problems and to become more competitive, we are having to develop for the same problems that the rest of the world is solving for. So in that regard, if you ask me, it gives us a competitive edge because for one, we have a captive marketing young people in Africa, significantly younger than the rest of the world. And so if you do your some right, you can get a very captive audience from the right out of the door with the innovation. Beyond that, we have a chance to just leapfrog a lot more of the sectors that in other markets would be having existing infrastructure, whether it's banking or financial services or so forth. We now are leapfrogging. So in that sense, even have a chance to bypass some of the developments in other markets. But I don't know what Andrew thinks of that. Andrew? Well, certainly, I think, um, I mean, my take on this would be, you know, there's some great new technologies and I think can certainly uh, can benefit the continent. But if you look at ChatGPT, I don't think they've covered Afri- African languages. And that that's one of the bigger issues. Similar to like the, um, you know, there was, there, was a, there was a great documentary uh, last year, the year before, about facial recognition and the bias uh, and not recognizing African faces. We just need to be careful, I suppose, on these technologies that, that Africa is, is is included. As Eva said, they came to Africa to use African staff to, to make it happen. But, you know, should African languages not be included there? And I, I think, look, that, that that also requires some people to to really go at this as a project and invest in it. Um, and maybe some African technologists can will be brought on board to try and do that. But, um, for, for you know, for Africans in different countries, whether... You know, they're, they're, they're in any country, suppose Swahili or uh, Shona or whatever the language, you know, that people are actually able to understand these technologies in a language that they want to speak. That is such a good point um, and, and a very, a very uh, forgotten point often, especially on the facial recognition, especially on the languages. If we're saying that Africa is such an important continent, why isn't this a, a primary consideration already? So completely on that. Um, Eva? No, no addition. I, I agree with you. Uh, it's something, and maybe it's for us to innovate around it, that we create software that recognizes our African shades and yeah, languages. I, 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 I think there was, that there was a lady who, who was African-American who, who recognized this and has, has raised it as a huge uh, issue. And I think there's been some work has been done. And again, not to, not to you know, um, rain on the parade, like these, these things have to start somewhere. Um, obviously, I'm assuming the engineers who who did that weren't African. Yeah. Um, so then it takes somebody to say, okay, well, actually, let's you know, let's let let's innovate on this and and, and try and create you know the African language version. So I think you know the internet obviously started as well, 
Tim Berners-Lee or, you know, he was an English guy and starts the internet. So it then it then extends across the world and people can 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 start to build on it. So I think we have to be we have to be mindful that these innovations have to start somewhere. But also, you know, Africans should be able to build on these things and create their own languages on them. Correct. So why should people think of of coming to ATS? What are the success stories? Can you tell us one um before we we end? I'll give you two. One's more of a, an interesting one, which I only found there recently. Okay, in terms of coming, I would say uh, the, the main thing for people is to, is to, if they're looking to do business in technology, so connect with investors, startups, corporates, or regulators and government, it's the place to come. This is our fifth edition, and you know it's our day job seven days a week. We ensure that we bring together people from all across the continent. Last year, we delegates from 47 countries. This year, I'd say we're on course with about 1,000 delegates to be in Nairobi for the 15th and 16th, and also a lot of investors who are also attending the East African Venture Capital Association event as well on the pre-day. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of, even outside of Africa Tech Summit, there's a lot of other things will happen that week that aren't related to us, but where the ecosystem is coming together for across the continent. So it's not just about Africa Tech Summit, I would say. But two stories. One, Zuri Health came last year. They were at a dinner the night before the event. They met an investor at the dinner who wrote them a check. Um, Amazing. Amazing. Now, what I, found, what I found amazing there was that the woman had a checkbook. Um, but there you go. Um, <laughs> and the, 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 second, the second story, which I found out, and I won't name who the people are, but she, the founder of a company, told me, yeah, I met my husband at your event. I said, what? I said, yeah, at your event in Kigali, I met I met him for the first time and we start dating and now we're married. So if you want a husband, and also it's on Valentine's Day is our pre-day. <laughs> if, the... <laughs> if you want a husband, we have a session. No, I'm joking. Maybe that should be on the app. We should have a, uh, a find, find a partner. Match.com by Apps Africa. Match.com, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew. That was, that, that was really very informative. Thank you for taking us through your background, Eva. Thank you so much for your contributions. This is the first of many podcasts that we'll be doing uh, together this year. And so uh, we're delighted to partner with the EABCA. See you next month. Have a great tech summit and we wish you all the best, guys. Thanks, Jerry, for having us. Yeah, thanks. We hope to see you there. Thank you. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees, whether expressed or implied, that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.